Uh, do you want to record the call? Oh yeah, you are. You're on top of that for once. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> What'd you do? Make a checklist? Checklist Chris over there? No, I actually didn't. It just um, you know, I, I I think I'm just getting better at this. You know, <laughs> a year in, we're finally learning how to do this. <laughs> yeah, broadly speaking, let's not get carried away. Well, here we are, one year in. Who would have thought? Indeed, indeed. We are uh, we are recording this uh, just a couple weeks before before the the one year anniversary of, of releasing our first episode. Right, right, right. Because yeah. we're not about to stream live or anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anniversary, yeah. Happy anniversary, Shooter. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Chris. What's the first? Uh, don't anniversaries have names? What's the first one called? Well, wait. So your twenty fifth one is your is your silver right anniversary. I don't know. That sounds right. And your your fiftieth is your golden. Okay. Um, I think we have a little ways to go. I think yeah. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're past the we're past the Vegas stage, so you know, we're good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, it it is kind of crazy. Like it's been it's been a year, and yeah. Have you gone back and listened to some of the earlier episodes and stuff, and earlier stuff? Um, I've gone back to listen to to. Um, a couple of episodes just to just to realize just to remember what we've said um, about certain things but I, I think they okay. were like more in the middle of the um, in the middle of the pack like in yeah, the, in the yeah. sort of um, five to ten episodes five to ten zone I haven't gone back and listened to any of the first few yet but but I might just for fun you know later today or something um, yeah you know, kind of funny <laughs> it, it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> it just the the early days right um we still didn't really know what we were doing or how to do what we didn't know, but we were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, I mean, it's it just it's just how anything starts, right? And um, like the way I I see it, like even when I recommend people, um, like who want to start back at the beginning, sometimes I say like if you want to save some time, maybe start on episode four, which I believe was the holiday special. We called it mm. with the Nutcracker and things. Yeah. Um, either there or the America special, the Fourth of July one. Um, that's when I think the podcast. It, just my humble opinion, right? And I'm probably the. We're both probably the worst person to ask this to because, you know, first person perspective. Um, but yeah, that's when I felt like we really got our legs under us, and we kind of the podcast really became itself in those episodes. But that's just my take, right? And the thing is, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what everyone else thinks. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree with you for what it's worth. I think there was a point. I don't remember exactly where there was a point where we started adding like music clips in the podcast. Yeah, I think that was. I and, think that was the holiday special. Maybe. Yeah, we yeah. released it on like um, it was one of the three day holiday weekends, right? Yeah, it's like uh, Memorial Labor Labor Day, Memorial Day, something like that. Yeah, but when I have gone back and listened to um certain ones, you know, I, I've been pleasantly surprised. I, I think um we we both made some some interesting points that um. You know, sometimes you surprise yourself. You're like, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't think about that." But of course, you did because you're the one who said it. But um, <laughs> maybe that just it just speaks to my sort of short, short-term memory or lack thereof. Right. But uh, I don't know if that's an experience you've had. Yeah, particularly, <laughs> I can point to specifics too. Particularly in the Glass Cage episode, one where we talk about um, John Cage, John Cage and Philip Glass. It's one of my favorite episodes of ours, actually. And yeah, we make some actually, I think, pretty decent points that when I go back, I'm like, oh, 
wow, I actually, hmm, that's a good point I made. I haven't thought about that. Like, wait, well, <laughs> I did think about it, obviously. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a testament to to how, you know, speaking or even writing, for that matter, is a way of thinking. It's not it's not merely a way of expressing what you've already thought about. Right, you know? right. Um, exactly. When you're, having, exactly. when you're having a conversation, if it's a, if it's a good conversation, you're not just um, repeating things that you've you previously sort of thought a lot about ideally you're actually thinking on the fly and just sort of coming up with ideas and sort of putting them on the table and seeing how they how they fare you know and um right and th that's why i think you know that's why you get this weird thing where you're like oh i you know that's weird i didn't think i thought about that but obviously you did it, but it was just in the conversation something you said must have um exactly sparked, sparked something in my brain or or vice versa so yeah. right right you you don't think to write, you write to think. Right, exactly. Is the way to put it, I think. Um, but anyways, we're going to be doing something a little different today for our anniversary special. Oh, wait, Instead hang on. Before we jump straight in, I just want to... You, do you notice anything different about me? You're wearing I'm a t-shirt. I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt. When have you is ever seen me a t-shirt? Fuck yeah, buddy. Hell you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only saw it, I saw it being a black t-shirt and... Like, oh, wait, is there an ITL logo underneath it? Yeah. Yep. You know it. You know it. I'm repping our swag. Love it. Um, I don't usually wear t-shirts, but when I, when I do, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's impolite to listen merch. <laughs> he is the most interesting podcaster in the world. <laughs> um, no, awesome. <laughs> exactly. What were we talking about? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, you you were gonna you were gonna introduce what we're actually doing today before I interrupted with my with my you know t-shirt flaunting. <laughs> yeah, and for anyone who wants any ITL merch, head to our website. You can get it there. Indeed, or just teespring.com slash store slash listen. Let's just give the our webpage another view and another click, you know, while we're at it. Yeah. So let's <laughs> <laughs> listen com people. <laughs> As usual, ignore Streeter. <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, but anyway, for our anniversary special, instead of just having a normal conversation, <laughs> um, instead of doing what we usually do, we thought it'd be fun to answer some frequently asked questions from our listeners. What are your views, Reader, on frequently asked questions and answering questions from an audience in a medium like this? Um, I mean, I think they can be fun as a as a sort of gimmick, you know, every here and there. Uh, I don't think yeah. it needs to be super, super frequent. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, if people have questions, you know, who are we to to uh, to just turn them away empty handed? Um, I, I do like I do like the the um, the thing that that you came up with the idea for to have on our website, the um, the IFAQ or the IFAQs. Um, <laughs> I, I like that as a sort of. Um, the infrequently asked questions. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. The <laughs> the infrequently asked questions. Um, I think we we cover some of the the really, I guess maybe ironically, like we we cover some of the the really actually fairly often asked questions. The, the actual, actual questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I think I think ever since you you told me about about that, I, I've been thinking that more and more um, more and more like podcasts or just general ch channels or brands of all sorts um, would really benefit from something like that. Just um, having a place on their website where they have, have, um, you know, the, the, cause like no one's like, most people are not that unique. So like, if you, if you ask for questions, you're going to get a lot of the same ones. <laughs> so, right. Right. Yeah. And you almost feel bad asking them like a real 
Q&A like this or something, you almost feel bad asking a very fundamental question like, which one is Shreeder and which one is Chris? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. we, we check all those off in our infrequently asked questions yeah. page on our website. So <laughs> that's, that's another click going to our website there. There we go. There we go. By the way, also on our website, you can listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. And um, and it's funny if you go to our website, our uh, our, our charter, our um, I, th- I think it's our About Us page, right, that we wrote before we even launched our first episode. It's funny to go back and read that now and see like how close we were for what we thought the podcast would become and what it did. And fairly close, but of course, nothing is exact in our imperfect universe. Yeah. Um, so... It's kind of fun to go through and read it, but anyways, so cool. Any final words, Reader, before we dive into FAQs? I think we can just dive into these facts. Cool. Is it wrong Let's to call ahead. them facts? Is that is that super noobish of me? <laughs> I've never heard anybody call it that, but I kind of like it because it's really <laughs> that's how I've always called it in my head. But maybe that's just facts. idiosyncratic, yeah. Because it's I also like that you know it's like oh we're gonna drop some facts on you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <here's... laughs> All right, let's drop some facts. Ah, here we go. So Sarah asks, what orchestras or artistic organizations have done a good job handling the pandemic, in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think I think I think this is good. Yeah, I mean, this has been the game in performing arts, but also just art and arts. Actually, no, just in society this past year, <laughs> governments and societies, cities, people. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, there's been some that have kind of stood out, right? So I think, um, I think the New York Philharmonic has actually done a pretty cool job in terms of uploading um, videos to YouTube of interesting new stuff, or even just like playing old stuff, but in a cool, um, in a cool different medium. So an example was for Halloween, they had this really cool, I don't think it's on YouTube anymore, actually. I think they took it off, sadly, but I wonder if there's a way hmm. to find it. And every time I tweet at the New York Phil, they do reply like in an, <laughs> w- within the day. I don't know who runs that Twitter account there, thought. But anyway, they're they're on it. So tweet at them, people. Um, yeah, we should tweet this at them. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually. But they had a really cool Halloween concert for Halloween, obviously. And what they did, this kind of builds off one of our previous episodes. But yeah, they... They played a lot of Halloween scary music, like the Bach Toccata and Fugue in D minor, uh, the, um, the Saint Saint Dance Macabre, and things. And what they did is they filmed it really professionally. They had a really professional looking film crew doing this, and it was in a cathedral in Manhattan. But they made it. They added like a fog machine, and they. Uh, um, so yeah they had a fog machine they had like orange lighting they had like lightning like fake lightning sound effects it was like cool awesome this is this is exactly what should be happening right now right um yeah so i thought that was really cool um um and other organization actually which i think is really um yeah i I guess this counts but um the university of north texas school of music Hmm. Um, they did something which I thought was just super cool. And, and I always thought too, they're such a great music school, especially, um, I mean, across the board, especially their jazz program. A lot of people would agree they're second to none. I mean, there's a few steps ahead of just everyone else. I mean, they're, they have like five jazz ensembles, I think, or something like that. And in the top one, the, the top one's called the one o'clock lab band. Um, the second one's called the two o'clock lab band. (laughs) They have it like that. 
Yeah, no, the, the One O'Clock Lab Band is a professional jazz ensemble for all intents and purposes, run by Alan Baylock, who's just a brilliant jazz educator and, and director and arranger. But what was cool is um, for their new, no, so, sorry, so for their um, like Baroque department and their um, period instrument like department, I guess, they had a masked concert but it was all, it was wearing like a real like face mask, right? Like that covers your nose and mouth and things. But on top of that, they had like a Viennese masquerade mask everyone wore and everyone had, everyone had a different one. So it looked like a mass concert from like a Viennese gala from the 1600s and stuff. And they're playing music from that era and stuff. And it's just hilarious. And some of them went crazy and had like a Star Wars mask on, but some had like a very ornate Venetian gondolier mask sort of thing. And and I thought, and it's just so funny. And it, of course, the sound, they sound really good, like really great students, really great players playing some really great music. But it's a masked concert, <laughs> like the first one there's maybe been in a few hundred years. So <laughs> that's really cool. Um, uh, I'm going to have to look, I'm going to have to like check this out. That one's definitely still on YouTube. We can link to it and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you and stuff. But it's, it's a great concert. It's a really great concert. It's a really brilliant idea. I'm surprised more people haven't gotten this. I'm imagining like a like a like an eyes wide shut kind of scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, but I'm surprised more people haven't haven't done something like that. That's um, yeah, and they yeah, called it like a masked like, concert. <laughs> yeah, that's true, <laughs> and it is. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, so it, it goes without saying that that the Berlin Philharmonic has been really interesting this past year as well. They're they're sort of always on the on the sort of forefront of of being interesting and innovative i think in the in the in the orchestra scene mm -hmm. um yeah yeah i think so too so um yeah they, they they did they did um several concerts where where the the musicians were all were all um you know distanced and and masked up um and they didn't have an audience so i think they they did just have a concert a couple weeks ago where they where they had i think um yeah a thousand audience members or something like it I was very something like that yeah it's very everyone sparse. was tested too in, in addition yeah. to all the requirements and only vaccinated and only tested people were yeah let in yeah so it was very very safe but um but the these concerts you know they were so they were so interesting because as always with the berlin philharmonic um not not only is the is the um, the idea good, but the the actual music itself is really interesting. So so they yeah. they took the opportunity to do, um, you know, really lesser played music, and um, you know they, they they took the opportunity to to play music that one ne doesn't necessarily hear when when um, when one is sort of doing the nan the the normal standard sort of symphony orchestra season, you know. Mm, sure. Yeah. Um, you can do sort of more contemporary stuff, more chamber music. Um, I forget which symphony they they did, but they arranged the symphony for for like a chamber group, um, like a a normal symphony for a chamber group, and that was also really interesting to hear. So you know, it's it's nice to see people not not only sort of innovating the form of concerts, but also like the content of of concerts. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah. So that you're not just sort of you're not just thinking like, okay, how can I keep playing Beethoven seven? just in a pandemic you're, you're really thinking okay we have to play Hashtag with fewer musicians <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> many people did let's just say that <laughs> yeah so yeah that was not no one um but you know they they really they really i think understood that that form and content are inseparable and um and they realized like okay if we can only have six people on stage it means that we can't play the symphonic repertoire but it does mean that we can play some really underplayed 
contemporary chamber music repertoire, you know? Yeah. And, and put that front and center for our Philharmonic concerts on the, on the digital concert hall in a way that they wouldn't be normally, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. And of course, yeah, the music's fantastic with, with Berlin. Um, um, I will say it is funny. Um, the Berlin Philharmonic, they're a great orchestra. I'm not going <laughs> to argue that. But sometimes they, in a charming way, don't sound good. Um, uh, <laughs> like, have you heard that? Have you heard that recording? Or sorry, have you seen that performance of them on YouTube, them playing the symphonic dances from West Side Story? No. It's not very good. <laughs> I'm what, sorry. What's it's going just, on? I mean, they play it exactly how a German or- orchestra would play it. They play it exactly how a German orchestra would play it. It just... You know, with like the mambo section in particular, it's like, yeah, they just don't get it, <laughs> but, but it's yeah. fine. Like, <laughs> you know, but in a way I find that just kind of charming. It's like, okay, they get points for trying, but they all know that this is not where they're going to make their, you know, acclaim as an orchestra. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. I think in some ways that speaks to the, the great strengths of the Berlin Philharmonic, which is yeah. that there are a lot of soloists out there who are immediately recognizable. Right. That's the mm-hmm. that's the job of being a soloist, yeah. essentially. Yeah, right, right. Very few orchestras that you hear and you and you right away know this is yeah. this is, you know, the ex Philharmonic. Berlin is one of those orchestras. They they really have cultivated a very unique sound and a very unique style of playing. I think it goes even in the way that they sort of cultivate their new members with the Karyon Academy mm-hmm. and yeah. they bring it they like to bring in like fresh talent, like quite young people in um when they're when they're quite passionate still for making music. Um, and quite obviously extremely talented. They're world-class talents, but when they come in, they're still relatively musically unshaped. So they get shaped sure, by, yeah. they get shaped by the orchestra, by the, by the elder members of the orchestra. So it creates this sort of long line of tradition of like the, the sort of Berlin Philharmonic way of playing, which is idiosyncratic. It's German, but it's idiosyncratic. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's how you get this thing. Like most orchestras you hear, it, you can tell if they're good or not, but, but, um, the Berlin Philharmonic has a, has like an, a, extremely unique sound and way of playing and style sure. of playing. And, um, and I think, you know, once you've cultivated that, I can only imagine that it's extremely hard to get rid of it. So that, you know, when you're playing West Side Story, you still play it like you're the Berlin Philharmonic, but you know, I think they make up yeah. for it with their, with their Beethoven or something. And the comments are hilarious underneath the video. On YouTube. <laughs> really? everyone's, everyone's like, yeah, roasting them. about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, um, so cool. Yeah. No, there's, there's some cool organizations doing some cool stuff. So Tom asks, who do you think is the most underrated composer? Um, interesting. Yeah. Um, want to dive in first on this one, Shooter? Sure. Can I have like, a you know, 15, 30 seconds to gather my thoughts? I can dive in. Sure. If you got one, if you got one ready. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oh, okay, now I thought I did. I will say it's it's one of those questions that's hard to just like give a specific answer. I will say in general, I think the Czech composers are pretty underrated. Um, hmm. I, I mean, underrated in, in a few in a few regards. So in the general like public pop culture, we usually kind of forget about the Czech composers. So right? we think of the Germans, we think of the the Italians, the Russians, but there were a lot of really phenomenal Czech composers that um that were great. I mean. I mean, Dvorak, Smetna, and then there's even more <laughs> Czech composers uh, in the last century that are really great, like Martinu, um, Alvo Part. Um, yeah, there's some really great music that comes out of the Czech Republic. And is is Janáček Czech? 
Janacek, yeah, that's right, yeah. And and this isn't anything new, too. I think composers or European composers always knew Czech Republic was a capital of classical music. You know, that's where uh, Mozart spent a lot of time and premiered a lot of his works, a lot of his operas in particular. Um, we call Mahler a German composer, but he was from then Bohemia, modern-day Czech Republic. So, I don't know. There's a case to be made that you can even call Mahler a Czech composer. Yeah, yeah. That's a whole conversation in its own. But um, yeah, there's a really strong case there. So anyways, I just think the Czech composers in general, I would say. That's a good answer. That's a that's a good answer. Oh, and, uh, and the Czech I've, I've orchestras, always... too, I'll say. The Czech orchestras, yeah, yeah. Are, all of them are really great. And there's a bunch. There's the Prague Philharmonic, the Czech National Symphony. There's a bunch more. Um, there's a, And also, they're cool. The great orchestras that do great, great, um, great recordings of the classics and the standard rep. But they're also great in the in the modern stuff they do in the sense that there's a there's a Prague Proms festival where they play a lot of film music and cinematic music and they do it really well. They're not like above that. They think that no, they actually embrace it. And they there's a great recording of the Rebecca Suite and a lot of Hitchcock film music. But they kind of put a new spin on it and added their own interpretive flair to it as well. They just don't recreate what was on the on the recording for the score for the film so they do a lot of cool stuff like that and and the czech orchestras i thought too are also really good at accompanying like um you know i can't i can't name recordings off the top of my head but i know there's some really great ones of name your great soloist great pianist great violinist great whoever um the czech orchestras accompanying them playing like the sibelius violin concerto uh, the orchestra really knows how to play that accompaniment role, like really shining in their own regard, but not trying to overshadow or take the spotlight away. It's a it's a very delicate balance. I think they usually strike very well. Yeah, and and Rafael Kubelik is one of my favorite conductors, and he's he's a Czech composer. Uh, sorry, he's a Czech conductor, and um, he, his recordings it. with the I think the Prague Philharmonic are, are just amazing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I could be wrong so, on the orchestra there because there there are so many Czech orchestras that I, I get them confused a little bit, but. Yeah, and the but, concert yeah. halls were kind of, I, I, yeah, they're all, there's like a bunch of famous concert halls in Prague too, and you get, <laughs> I forget which one performs it at which, and yeah, so. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. I've, I've long, I've long thought that, and um, I'm glad you said it. Um, sure, awesome. I'm trying to think of, uh, I, I might have to go slightly more boring and say say that um, I think someone who's who's frequently underrated is is Telemann. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Yeah, um, Georg Philipp Telemann. Um, I think I think underrated is like an interesting term because I don't think he's badly rated. I don't think anyone would say that he's a bad composer, but mm. I think people kind of think of him generally as kind of second rate. Um, yeah. or maybe like, maybe sort of too, too prolific, like he wrote too much nonsense. Um, right. so it's hard to like know what, what is actually good, you know, within his output, but yeah. And also just being a broke composer, I just think you're, you're compared to Bach. I mean, this exactly. undoubtedly, right? <laughs> exactly. It's an albatross that, that hangs over every Baroque composer's head. Yeah. Um, but you know, Telemann, Telemann was quite a bit more successful than Bach um, hmm. during 
during during their lives. Um, like he he always had the job that Bach wanted to get, and he was sort of first in mm-hmm. line for the job that that Bach. He was always considered over Bach for a couple of jobs. Um, Interesting. And um, and Bach respected you- him immensely. Do you, do you know what those um, jobs were specifically? I think I think the 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 one at St. Thomas, um, and, oh, and okay, maybe there's yeah. and maybe there's one in, in Dresden. I think that Bach really wanted, but Talman got that Interesting. job. Interesting. Um, I, I did forget the details, but but um, Talman is was a little bit older, I think, and and um, and they were sort of professional rivals, even though they respected each other immensely. Um, okay, fair enough. Carl Ka- yeah. Ka- Philip Emanuel Bach is is named after. Garrick Philip Telemann. He, he, he was oh. his, he was, he was CPE box godfather. Um, interesting. So, interesting. But he was so, he was so innovative in so many ways. Like he, he was amongst the first com- composers to start like self-publishing. Um, mm. he started, yeah, he, he started like sort of self-publishing and sort of starting to almost like run a sort of composing business where he would try to, he would like engrave his own scores and then sell them for, for money. You know, like, like we were talking about before, there was a time when composers, it was like a side hustle, and then there was a transition that happened where composers started sort of being entrepreneurs of their own music, and Telmon right, was like right. right at the forefront of that, you know. And That's and the really music itself is like really, I think, innovative. If you listen to, if you listen to it, um, you know, th- there there are there are lots of um, m- moments when he's he's like he he's he sees so far ahead. I think like he he's he's definitely a Baroque composer, but he he's he's always he's more omnivorous in some ways than Bach. Um, Gotcha. He like he saw the sort of classical influences coming, um, and he was sort of on top of that. And um, he just it, the the music is just it's so fun and lively, and um, it's it's always a pleasure to to sort of listen to. Um, it, it's not it's not you know as great as Bach, but you know nothing really is. But but I think I think being being a composer that's like also like German Baroque, I think that that sort of albatross hangs over him, like we said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that he was very, very prolific. So, um, you know, the nature of being prolific, like we said before, is that you end up writing some nonsense yeah, um, right, and like right. repeat and repeating yourself a lot. But, um, you know, there, there's certain gems of his works that, that I think are, are definitely, um, you know, they're, they're underrated, you know, like yeah, I said, fair. no, no one would say that they're bad, but I don't think anyone's walking around thinking that Talamon is one of their favorite composers. And, um, I would like to make the case, make the case that you should, you should consider it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he um he wrote a lot of great trumpet music. Um, oh yeah, there's I think several um Telemann trumpet concertos and stuff. Wrote flute Ooh. stuff too, right? Tons of flute stuff. There are tons of sonatas, tons of duets. There's a famous series of twelve fantasies for solo flute. Okay. Um, that he wrote, and those are really great and also really innovative in their in their sort of form and um, style. He wrote solo fantasies for harpsichord, um, for key- for keyboard, whatever, for um, violin, I think. And people would definitely recognize a lot of Telemann music if we played it for them. There's some that are very, I mean, I mean, some some of the trumpet music's played at um, weddings, uh, 
church services or stuff. Yeah. Some, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of the, the, a lot of the, um, the overtures and the suites for, for strings and, uh, you know, various other instruments are sort of used as sort of whenever, whenever someone wants to get the sort of quintessential Baroque sound in a movie, um, you know, but not quite go as far as to having something as, um, as sort of dense as Bach. Right. Uh, I think Telemann is usually their go-to, Telemann or Handel. Yeah, no, I always thought, too, it'd be a cool concert program idea to have a concert program of musical rivals. So you could have... Bach and Telemann, you could have Chopin and Liszt, you could have Brahms <laughs> and Tchaikovsky, uh, Stravinsky and um, Schoenberg. Schoenberg, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is a really cool idea. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, um, Salieri and Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, crazy. Um, I, cool. I will say just one, one last thing. Mm -hmm. um, I think with, with with Baroque music generally, and I think like Telemann really suffers from this. Um, you know, the 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 notation is not the music, especially like you know we we were talking about this a little bit with it, with talking about Baroque and jazz in the in in our last episode. But um, a lot of people unfortunately play play music mm -hmm. play Baroque music um, in what I hear as like the sort of Baroque equivalent of someone picking up a jazz tune and like playing it off of like the lead sheet, you know. Just like mm. as it's written, um, just so, sort of like the the very boring um, thing, and I think a lot of people play Telemann like that, and it, the music really suffers with, without it, you know, in, in a way yeah, that Bach sure. doesn't, because the the structure of Bach's music is so strong that people can play it exactly as written, and it's still like amazing. Yeah. But Telemann, right. you need to actually play it like with Baroque style and add all these sorts of frills and ornaments, and then it really comes alive. But I think most people kind of just play it straight, and then it sounds boring because. It is boring when you play it like that, but it would it would never have been played like that, you know. Yeah. Natalie asks, "What was your favorite class in music school?" Oh boy, you're asking the wrong guy for this. <laughs> <laughs> you loved all of them, right? Sure. <laughs> How about you go first? Sure. And then, okay. and I'll, yeah. Yeah. So if I if I would pick one, I would think. Um, um, I would say I think it was what was it T three fifty one. It was our our last music theory semester, so it was um, covering basically twentieth century music, post tonal, atonal music, and the reason I really liked it is um, I, I really liked all my music theory classes, and it was you know up until that point, all music theory it's just becoming more and more tonal. I don't know you're just getting more and more advanced in your ability to to analyze music harmonically, understand different. Um, technical tools of composition and Western music, right? Um, and doing more and more um, fancier harmonic analysis of a Brahms symphony and things and counterpoint writing, all that. So, which was all great. But what was cool about the final semester of music theory, at least for us, the way our school set it up, our final semester was basically, um, it started, I believe, with Debussy and late Mahler and things, and just went up to present day. And what was cool is you kind of had to, everything you've been mastering for the past four semesters or whatever, you know, you now have to just let go and forget, like still retain the same sort of thinking of how you approach music and analyze music, 
but forget all the harmonic tools, all the cadence progressions and stuff you learned in music theory. Because now it's you're studying music of um, of Stockhausen and things, and you you just can't use that same approach you've been using to study Mozart and Chopin and Liszt and Brahms and stuff. Or or even with something like with Debussy, you don't even have to go as far into the experimental world as Stockhausen. But even with something like sure. Debussy, you can, you know, there, there there came a moment where where when you're studying this kind of theory, where there comes a moment where you realize like, oh, you 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 were taught that this is like weak or bad voice leading. But then you come mm-hmm. to DBC and now it's called chord planing. You know? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, right. So yeah, you do have to like kind of throw the sort of classical elements of theory out the window at a certain point. And yeah. just increasingly so, you know. Yeah, like when you look at a lot of a lot of I mean, if you look at Mahler's tenth symphony and stuff, right? It's that's you could analyze it harmonically, but it's kind of it doesn't get you very far, right? You have to you have to approach it very differently and stuff. You can't analyze that that sort of music the same way you've been analyzing the past few hundred years of music, and and then going forward into the 20th century when things got really um, divergent and stuff, you really have to bring a different, um, more contextual approach, I think, to studying music as opposed to just looking at the score. You really had to understand everything around it, and the whole artistic movements really really became more relevant to the products of those movements i would say so because that yeah i thought it was really cool um and really kind of different and going against the grain of everything you had been had you had been obsessing about and staying up to 2 a.m working on for the past few years yeah yeah i'll, I'll second that like the, the music theory classes were were really um interesting um i guess i won't go so boring as to say that my lessons were my favorite even though even though they were but um I I will say that I think one one really one really great thing that IU did that I'm not sure I'm not sure if all schools do this but they they had a requirement that you do chamber music right mm, yeah that's true yeah I don't think that's too yeah a lot of it yeah it's like four or five semesters required yeah um, like doing chamber music not just on the side for fun but having it actually as a class where you have a faculty coach you have to put on a performance you have to you know all that yeah yeah. You get credits um, and for it. <laughs> you get, yeah, yeah. And those those were those were some of the the most interesting musical experiences I've had. I think because um, you know it's really easy to get sort of caught up in your in your instrument, especially in music school. You know when you're surrounded you you're surrounded by people of your instrument. You take your lessons once a week. You also have studio class with like other people who play your instrument. You probably have other classes like to do with your instrument. And so much time is taken up with um, talking about like you know tone or vibrato or intonation on, on the flute. Right, right. But then but then you take chamber music class and and now you know you're getting a coaching like I remember we did a flute trumpet and piano trio. And right. we were getting yeah. coachings from like a pianist and from a trumpeter. Um I remember doing and, um, a like a And the clarinet professor, what was his name? The guy who played with yeah, Glenn Gould, right? Oh uh, what was his Campbell. Name? Bill Campbell. Yeah, that's it? right. Yeah. 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 It was right. Bill something was like great. that. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. He was really great. And and I remember we learned we learned so much in that in that one um coaching. Um, and I remember that yeah. there was another one, there was another time when, when I was playing, um, a lot for Susan McDonald, is that her name? The harp professor? The harpist. Yeah. 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 And, um, and Gazalis, the viola professor there. Um, you just, you know, there's so many great musicians at music school and, and you really only get a deep interaction with a few of them. Um, but the mm-hmm. chamber music course was a great way to sort of get a little bit of, um, wisdom from some of the other great musicians there. And, um, 
and and really just get out of your instrument because it was so it's, yeah. it feels so liberating to to take a chamber music coaching and not have someone say like you know something about like the the sound of the flute or like the kind of vibrato you're using everything is like musically oriented because the person who's giving you coaching he might know one of the instruments but probably it's likely that um that they don't know any of the instruments that are mm-hmm. that are being played upon right now so um right you get this sort of purely musical approach to what you're what you're doing and of course you you do need the instrumental approach too that's why you have lessons but mm-hmm. it's nice to sort of step out of it and um i just i, I just remember those being very like mu- musically um formative like i remember a lot of things that i learned in those coachings with other instrumentalists um yeah that i now like apply to my own flute playing that you know their ideas that have formed nothing to do with playing the flute and i'm, and yeah. I'm really glad that iu made us take a lot of that stuff you know yeah i totally second that because so yeah so professor campbell right the clarinet professor Mm -hmm. yeah it was a trio of piano trumpet and flute we were playing the stevenson trio sonata i think yeah by james stevenson yeah yeah shout out if he's listening i know i know he's um he's kind of twitter friend so i don't know if he's he might be listening right now yeah yeah he's a great composer yeah great current living composer he's always writing some really cool stuff so um but yeah but so he was a clarinet professor um uh, Professor Campbell, and yeah, he didn't play any any of the instruments in our our chamber group, and I I think that's such kind of I'll even call it a hack. I think that's such a hack of uh, a way to like kind of cheat the system is yeah take lessons or have someone who doesn't play your instrument listen to you and tell you what they think, tell you what they hear because they're not going to be thinking about technique or the technical parts of your playing because yeah he he didn't know you know trumpet technique, he didn't know flute technique, he couldn't give you advice on that or even comment on it but he was a really phenomenal musician so that's what the conversation is going to be about it's going to be about music and even when you take a lesson or you have someone who does play your instrument listen and give you their opinion you you can try to like say all right let's only talk about music let's not talk about any of the technical parts of our instrument you can try but it's so easy to just devolve into oh i noticed when you fingered that passage you use an alternate fingering why'd you do that or that scale really okay interesting you took a breath there right yeah so or even just you know when you're when you're within your instrument you get caught up in the cliches of your instrument so it's unavoidable mm. but um there's a sort of intra-instrumental style that that crops up because of a relatively few number of superstars who play a piece yeah, a certain yeah. way and it becomes a way that all flutists play it because that's just how people hear it now um right but you know, you play you play a piece for for like a violist, who's probably mm-hmm. never like he's not in the same kind of idiom, um, yeah. And he 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 will be able to criticize the musicality of it in a much more objective way than, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like the 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 you know the what is water thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Asking a fish, what is water? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh my God. Remember that time I sent that email accidentally to like the whole music school or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was before I met you. I was like, who the fuck is this Chris Arkin idiot? <laughs> yeah, and it, it was to do with chamber music, too, because I remember um, um, I found out like this one semester, I ended up having a f- room for a few more credits. So last minute, I wanted to join a chamber group, but I didn't want to do like a standard brass sort of setup, like a brass quintet or something. I was curious if anyone out there wanted a trumpet player to join their, <laughs> again, like a guitar, flute, trumpet trio, or like a, uh, you know, a some cool sort of arrangement of instruments something wonky yeah yeah Yeah, i was curious if someone wanted a trumpet player and so you could like send an email 
on like the the portal we use to register for classes that felt like it was designed on windows 98 right some old oracle system um i remember i could like message people and um enrolled in the chamber music credit which i didn't really know because we were both young that's basically everyone in the music school (laughs) (laughs) and i was able to send like oh is anyone looking for a trumpet player my name is chris here's my phone number and email contact me happy to chat but then i sent it and then like the window i click send it didn't like go away after i click send so i assumed it didn't send so i clicked it like again and again and i clicked it like seven times And little did I know that sent seven emails to basically you know, over a thousand people who were registered in that course. And yeah, I was. Uh, was it really only two... seven? It 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 felt like it was two hundred. <laughs> man, it just was. It just I'm just there coming. Just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just cl- like, come on, send, send. I'm, I'm just there clicking it. <laughs> and for like the next two days, everyone's like, Chris, I heard you need a chamber group. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you were you were yeah. a real legend in the music school. 